Thank you. Um, yeah, it's always great being with you guys this morning for AD and I, so thank you for having us. Uh, it's always good to see some old friends and old faces. And uh, I'd like to dive in this morning. I think I'll just jump straight in uh, into the message. And um, I want to share around Psalm 92, actually, and have a look at the psalm, parts of the psalm, and what it means to flourish in God in all seasons. And, you know, we called, when we start the walk of faith, as we gave our lives to Christ, uh, we know that it's a journey of faith. And it's not actually how we start that counts. It's great that we can start well, but also that we run the race well till the end. The Bible says that we've got to run with endurance or perseverance, the race that is marked out for us, keeping our eyes on Christ. And, uh, and this morning, I want to unpack a portion of Scripture uh, dealing with that, what it means to flourish in the Lord in all seasons, and, um, and, and really just kind of put afresh this encouragement in you, um, in the Lord, and just to kind of wash you and encourage you in Him as you look at Him. And, and afterwards as well, I want to stretch us, actually, by I want us to pray for one another at the end. So be each of us. If you've never prayed for someone before, uh, I think most of us would have, though. But I think um, we're going to end up, we're going to minister to one another after this. And so we'll get into that a bit later. But, you know, let me start off by saying um, Psalm 92 deals with plants and trees and gardens. And my wife loves gardening. Uh, when we were in, um, particularly in Otsorn, we led a church for about six years in Otsorn. I've got to say that right. In English, we say Otsorn. But my, dad, my son corrected me last night. He says, Dad, no, if you're in Wellington, you say Otsorn. If you go Otsorn, no one understands you. So you've got to say Otsorn. And uh, we had a house there. We had an old sandstone house that had a, had a beautiful garden. In fact, well, there wasn't a garden when we arrived. There was no garden. Because AD's got green fingers. Uh, I don't know if you use that, uh, that, that term in Afrikaans, green fingers. But I remember her planting just, you know, these, these incredible plants. We had strelitzias, and we had this beautiful frangipani tree. I don't know if you know about the frangipani or the frangipani. I don't know how you pronounce it. Frangipani. And it produces these beautiful white flowers that, that give off this fragrance. And in summer, you know, we would sit around. We had this big stoop in the front of the house. And we'd sit on the stoop and have friends around for tea and, 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 and just kind of connect with, with friends. And the kids would play under the frangipani tree where we had this mud pit. And they would be playing in the mud and just enjoying themselves in the garden as we kind of had this beautiful garden. But the thing with the garden as well is, you know, it went through the seasons. We had... Uh, the summer where it would flourish, but the winter where it would die. I remember the grass particularly would just die in winter, and I'll look at that now. But interesting with Psalm 92, it describes believers and unbelievers, and describes unbelievers like a certain type of thing that grows, and describes believers as a certain type of tree that grows, or trees that grow. And I'd like just to read together Psalm 92 from verse 5 to 7. And um, let's look at what it says in verse 5. It says, How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, and the fool cannot understand this. And then it describes the wicked person, that though the wicked sprout like grass, and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. So what it does here is that it actually describes someone who it says here is a wicked person, someone who doesn't know in our context, or the Bible's context, someone who's wicked is not someone who always does bad things. 
A wicked person in the Bible is a person that trusts in themselves and doesn't put their trust in Jesus Christ. You know, there's a lot of self-righteous person, self-righteous people. In other words, you, we can be proud of the fact that we are, you know, ons gaan kerk toe, en ons tinder, en ek, ek doen this, and I do this. And actually, we can be self-righteous. And I know the Lord has challenged me many times, even as a, as a child of God, at times in terms of that I lean and I trust myself and even in my own works to save me. And I've had to repent of that and learn how to lean on Jesus and trust in Jesus. But the, the wicked are characterized as those who don't, they, 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 they live for themselves. They trust themselves and even, and it says the wicked are like the grass. And that's what it says here. The wicked are like grass. And interesting before that, it says the fool cannot understand this, a stupid man cannot know the ways of the Lord. By the way, what is a fool in the Bible? Because the Psalms also says, you know, you get a certain individual called a fool. And a fool is someone ultimately, the Psalm says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And, uh, you know, a fool isn't someone that doesn't have education. Um, you can have a degree. It just makes you an educated fool. Um, you know, you can have all the learning in the world, but if, you, if we don't put Christ at the center, we actually, and especially those that are characterized as those who don't know him, would be characterized as fools, as stupid. I mean, it's quite strong language there. Stupid, right? It, like, it's quite, it's very strong language that he uses. The fool doesn't know this, and they sprout like grass. And it's interesting here, um, with grass, we find in Oatsorn particularly, we had this beautiful summer grass, I don't know how many of you are gardeners in this place, or you've tried to, to grow grass. It's very difficult sometimes, right? Because grass is fickle. I know our grass, we have weeds that grow up among the grass, um, but we at one point had this grass looking beautiful. It was green. You know, we would mow that thing. Um, we would get that grass just beautiful so that we could play on, the, and the kids could play on the grass, and we could enjoy it in summer. But the problem is, winter came along, and with winter and oatsorn, uh, we, we had these very, very cold winters where we would have black frost that would cover over the grass, like this ice, that would kill the grass. And in wintertime, our grass would go black and dark brown, and it would die. And we realized like, how fickle grass is. You, know, you can take grass, and you can very easily root up grass. You can take it, and you can pluck it out. It doesn't go very deep into the ground. And in the same way, what he's saying here, he's saying that for those who don't know the Lord, um, in a sense, you might flourish, and you might even, uh, not you might, but th those who don't know God can even do well. It actually says the word that the unrighteous or evildoers, they flourish in this life. And, you know, I've got friends that don't know the Lord, and they are doing really well in this life. They've got successful jobs. Many of them have got happy marriages. They've got good kids who love them. Um, they're living their best life now. But what is our aim as believers? You know, for those that are part of the, the, this mission of following after the Lord, is our aim to have a happy life in this life? Are we called to flourish only? Because unbelievers, it says, they flourish in this life. And if we're living for this life only, woe to us. But what marks us out is, as you'll see, is that we call to be those that live for the next. And that our hope in this world is not just that you can have a successful life. If that is our dream and our goal, 
we are falling far short of the vision that God gives us in the New Testament. The vision is to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And in fact, you know, that's the thing that sometimes is hard being a Christian. I, I don't know about you, but I look at those who don't know the Lord, and life for them is often just easy. You know, I've got some family members. They just cruise through life, seemingly, some of them. And they're just like, it's not fair, Lord. Why do they have it easy? And I'm, you know, I'm serving you. You know, I'm, I'm the good man, and I'm suffering for your name. And yet you get those who are really bad people in terms of before the Lord, and they are flourishing in this life. And that's the thing we have to accept, is that sometimes serving the Lord means life will be hard. And the New Testament is costly, but it's better. But there's a cost to it, and it says here that those who are wicked sprout like grass, and the evildoers, they flourish. However, they are doomed to destruction forever. And I know someone once said, you know, our aim is not to be happy in this life. Only. Our aim is to be holy in this life so that we can be happy in the next. Whereas what the, the world says, they say, your aim should be to be happy in this life. If you're happy in this life, but actually if you aim to be happy in this life and not holy, you won't be holy in the next. You'll be like these guys that it says, they will come, the destruction will come upon them forever. And it's the thing, is like we are people that are, are called to walk in so much more with an eternal mindset, a vision of that we're building our lives now for the next. And I love that's what, so the, the lady who shared the, 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 the finance, who, where, where, where is she? Anya, yeah. Okay, Kids Church. Um, and Anya said something to the effect, she read Matthew, part of Matthew 6. And you know, the thing about giving, I realize, that sometimes we can even give our finances and we don't always see the fruit in this life. Because Jesus said, if you're storing up riches on earth only, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to fade away. But if you store up riches for heaven, it'll never fade away. And I find for me, I've had to learn that when I give financially, I'm actually storing up treasures in heaven. Sometimes the Lord blesses me, wonderful. But it's not like, okay, I'm going to give my tithe now, Lord. You better give to me because, you know, I'm giving, where's my payback, Right? And I think, unfortunately, you know, churches twist that around. But actually, I give because I know I'm sowing into an eternal inheritance. Why, should I, why shouldn't I? Because I know that I'm building for the next. Um, we've got a, um, a, a domestic. She's no longer with us anymore. A lady that worked for us who was from Zimbabwe. And uh, she would come every week, um, you know, and kind of just help us around the house, clean the house for us, we, and we paid her. And what she did is she would take her money because her home wasn't in South Africa, her home and her children were actually in Zimbabwe. And so what she did is she took quite a large point percentage of her, of her money at her own personal cost, and she would send it back to Zimbabwe every month, her money, so that her children could live. Now you think, like, why would she do that? Because she understood that her treasure was in another country. And I think for us as Christians is that I want to ask you, where is our treasure? If we understand that our treasure is Christ and our treasure is in, we seated with Him in heavenly places, the Bible says our citizenship is in heaven. And that means that every time I'm giving, every time I'm sowing, every time I'm loving, what I'm doing is effectively I know that I'm preparing for the next world. And that I'm living for, I've got this vision of an eternal future in Christ. And that's actually the hope of every believer in the Lord. 
And I don't know about you, but I know I get stuck into this thing, the things of this world. It's like, because it's real, right? We need to, you know, we have sometimes more month at the end of our money. You know, our budget doesn't line up. It's like, oh, I don't, I'm not, you know, and we, we feel the real stress of that. But I think we need to put our eyes up above again. And especially, you know, I know that you guys have bought this building. I think it's already gone through. Uh, yeah. It's, it's transferring. And I know that one of the, the things right now, sorry, I didn't mean to share this, but let me just drop it in, is even with giving into our building fund. Because, um, and I know that's been one of the drives, even with your art day, you know, and the, the exhibition that you're doing uh, early next month. But there's a cost to our giving. And I want to say that have you, if you're part of this family, are you giving sacrificially even into this building? Not just your tithe or your tinder or your, the amount, but actually because everything is the Lord's. Are, have you, has the Lord challenged you to give far beyond that? And while this is just a building, we know church is not a building. Church is a um, people, as, as Rowan said at the beginning. But the building is going to be a very important part to facilitate family. And people are going to come to know Christ in this building. There are eternities that will be changed because someone is going to walk through that door and is going to have their life transformed by the, by the love of God through this community. And if you've given towards that, there's something of your reward into eternity. And if we think that way, it, like, it changes our giving. And I want to encourage you, even in your giving in terms of that. Anyway, that was just a little, that was free. That was a freebie. Um, that was just free advice right there. Anyway, let's move on to believers. So we see this, he says, with the wicked and what the wicked are like and, uh, and how the wicked flourish. So sometimes if you get frustrated that good things happen to bad people, well, I feel the same, <laughs> you know, and bad things happen to good people, right? That's, that's in the Bible. And so we, we to carry on. But it carries on here in Psalm 92. And I'd like to then look at believers or the righteous, in verse 12 to verse 15. So it mentions the wicked. And then it says in verse 12 to verse 15. Let's read these four verses together. Um, the righteous flourish. Interesting, it uses that word again. So it says that the wicked flourish, but the righteous also flourish. So both groups actually in the Lord, but it's a different type of flourishing. It's a different, do you, uh, sorry, the English word flourish, um, what is it in Afrikaans? Flourier. Okay, there we go. It's like grow and bear fruit. Like the palm tree, and here are two trees I want to tell you. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like the cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. And there is no unrighteousness in him. So here it mentions two different types of trees that the righteous are like. And why does it do that? It mentions the palm tree and then mentions the cedar tree. You are a star. I was thinking, Lord, could I get some water? <laughs> One of David's mighty men broke through the ranks. Now I've got to pour it out. I'm not worthy of this water. You're a righteous man. <laughs> and so it mentions these two types of trees. And I want to start with these two and what it teaches us is how we walk this faith out in the Lord. The first type of tree is a palm tree. Now, I notice outside, actually, there's palm trees here, right? And they're not very big. These are actually quite disappointing palm trees. 
Because the palms that uh, the writer of the Psalms is speaking about is not just palm trees that we have in South Africa or locally here. It's speaking about a certain kind of palm tree that you found in the Middle East and you find today. It's called the date palm. The date palm. And I want to tell you about it because these date palms produce, you know, dates, these fruit that we eat. We obviously have them today. And what are those, like, mosbolikis? You know, those date fruit things we have, you know. Um, I think they put dates in them. But these date palms, I'll tell you a bit about them. These palms can grow up to 30 meters high. So these outside are like, what, are five meters? So I want you to think times um, six of those, up to 30 meters high, and they live up to 100 years old. The date palms love the heat. In fact, they thrive in desert conditions. So much so that that's because you find them in the Middle East. Normally, not just anywhere in the desert, but they, they are found next to water. So they're found next to a river. They're found next to an oasis where there's water. And there's an old proverb, a Middle Eastern proverb, that says about the date palm that its, its feet are in the water and its head is in the fire. And it lives in this heat. It thrives in heat as it produces water. One tree can produce up to 80 kilograms of dates per season. 80 kilograms of dates. That's a lot of fruit. It can still produce fruit when it is 80 years old. So it lives up to 100 years old. Up to 80, it's producing fruit. 80 kilograms a season. So virtually the whole lifespan of this fruit tree, this date palm, is producing fruit all the way through its life. And the date palm, if you know your Old Testament well, do you know where the date palm, the picture or the image of the date palm was found? Do any of you know? It was found in the temple in Jerusalem, Solomon's temple, where Solomon built the temple and he had all these decorations and engravings on the walls. And one of the, the, the decorations it speaks about in Ezekiel was of palms and of angels, cherubim. And there'd be this palm angel, palm angel, palm cherubim, palm cherubim, and it spoke of fruitfulness. And it's interesting is that what does the palm tree speak about for you and I? It speaks about ongoing fruitfulness in dry and difficult conditions, that God has called us to bear fruit for us even when things are difficult and dry. Verse 14, I love this in um, Psalm 92, it says, they bear fruit in old age. They are ever sap and green to declare the Lord is upright. Don't you love that? And so this vision for our lives is that when the Lord saves us, God's heart is that we wouldn't just be bearing fruit and somehow kind of, you know, just maintain for the rest of our Christian walk. God's heart is that we are fruitful, um, being used by Him, growing in Him, growing in character, maturity, in zeal. I want to say even in zeal. You know, Romans 12 says, do not be lacking in zeal, but serve the Lord. And sometimes, I think sometimes we think that zeal is for the little kids or for the teenagers or for the young adults. You know, even this morning, I mean, I love the kids coming up to worship to spring for the Lord, you know. But my goodness, if that's the children that are doing the, the worshiping and the jumping, my goodness, it's us that, that even in our old age, that we'd be those that are actually are exuberant in our praise for God because He's worthy, not because I, it suits me. My goodness, I'm an introvert by nature. It does not suit me to come up front, to raise my hands, and to sing to the Lord. But He is worthy. And worship is for Him. It's not for me. And so in this place, you know, I want to just share a story, actually. I was in Brazil last year, in the middle of the year. And uh, when I was there, have I shared the story with you? There was an old 
uh, I, I was actually preaching on a different scripture, but the, 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 the application was about how, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if we can be 80 years old, and you could be, you know, there may be younger guys coming to the front, but you, you push your way to the front. You don't have to go to the front, for example, but I'm just using that as an illustration. But you are, are front-footed, wanting to serve him and worship him and know him in your old age. And, and you come to him, you're 80 years old, and, you know, maybe you've even got your walking stick. And while everyone's worshiping and passionately pouring out their hearts to the Lord, you there with your walking stick, and you're raising that walking stick unto the Lord. You know? You're worshiping him. You, you're giving him because there's a fruit-bearing life. Not just that. You're loving people. You're opening up your home. You're showing hospitality. You're loving the saints. You, 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 you love the Word of God when you're 80 or 90 years old. And I was sharing this in Brazil, and the people were all, like, tearing up. They were, like, starting to, some of them were weeping, you know? And I was like, sure, okay. That wasn't that profound. But, and I wondered why. And after the meeting, one of the, uh, the ladies, um, Maria, she's a deacon in Sao Paulo, Estacio 337. She came to me, and I'd known that her father had passed away about three or four months before that. And this man, he, he passed away, I think, in his early 80s. And this man was a pillar in the church. When the church was planted about uh, 19, 20 years before that, this, uh, this gentleman was, uh, was there in the church plant. And he was part of the church plant for all these years, but he was as faithful as could be. But not only faithful, fruitful and zealous. And they took a video of him about a month before he passed his way, before they passed away. Now, if you know the Brazilians, they're very exuberant in their worship. You know, they're very loud, and they, I think we can learn something from them. And, uh, and in their worship, uh, Maria had actually videoed her father about a month before he passed away, with him in the front, literally with his cane, with walking stick, and he was doing this before, and, and they actually shared it on social media after, and they tagged me in it, with his, you know, with his stick before the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? This idea that Scripture says that we are bearing fruit in our old age, we're fruitful even, even for him in ill health. I mean, he could hardly walk, you know, he must have shuffled to the front, you know, but like that. And again, it's not about coming to the front. The heart of it is that there's a life poured out and that the heart of God is that even as we get older, even though we go through disappointment and trial and storms, but somehow through it we come refined and we come into the presence of God and we come to His people. And so I want to challenge you, my friends. How are you doing in this area? You know, do you, are you seeing a vision of your life of where, do, where you want to be in 30 years' time or 20 years' time or 50 years' time? God willing, if you're still on the earth, what is the vision of your life? Or do you have a plan that is maybe a five-year plan that involves your career, involves your finances? Or is it a vision that is one of saying, I want to count for God in my generation. I don't want to be an oxygen thief. I don't want to just live my little house, have my family, have my life, have my career, suck oxygen and die one day. But actually, I'm living a kind of fruitful life that is flourishing for the Lord. Um, I often wonder, you know, what will people say at my funeral when, when I die? If, if I have to fall dead now, poof, just fall dead, you know, what a great place to go, you know, <laughs> preaching the word. And I wonder what, like, what will people say at my funeral? Would I have made an impact in people's lives? Would I have, would I, would I have seen, would people say that, that Mike loved the Lord? Would my children say that, that my dad left a legacy of godliness, 
uh, that he followed Christ and he loved. He wasn't perfect. He made mistakes, so many of them, but there was grace flowing from him. And, and he lived this fruitful life in the Lord. It's like, oh, God. And so that's what he says. He says that, that the, the righteous are planted in the house of the Lord. They are like the palm tree. They flourish in old age. And then the second kind of tree that we're going to look at is, and the last tree, is the cedar tree. The cedar tree. And so, so they flourish like the palm, and they grow, in verse 12, like the cedar in Lebanon. Now, the cedar tree was different to the palm tree in that firstly, it didn't bear fruit. So it wasn't a fruit-bearing tree. But this tree, the cedar tree of Lebanon, was called the king of trees. It was the most well-known tree in the ancient world, king of trees. It would grow up to 40 meters in height. That is really, really high and could live up to 1,000 years old, 1,000 years old. In fact, it's been known that there's a certain kind of cedar, I think it's called the red cedar, that's been known to live up to 3,000 years old. There's, you can check it out for yourself, but at least this cedar of Lebanon could grow. And, and this kind of tree was used for building ships. Uh, it had incredibly durable wood, building buildings. In fact, the Temple of Solomon was built by the cedar tree, from the cedar tree, um, the cedar wood. And what does this speak about? It speaks about ongoing resilience and faithfulness in the Lord. And now, can you imagine, I mean, imagine outside this, you know, hall, imagine a, a huge 40-meter cedar tree that is, let's say, 800 years old, and you decide that you're going to sit under and have a picnic under that tree, and you, you get your stuff, and you you'd lie back against this ancient tree that is hundreds and hundreds of years old. And imagine if you could say to that tree, tree, could you tell me a bit about your story? What have you seen over 800 years? Imagine the story that that tree could tell. Imagine, the, imagine what it's been through. Imagine that it could say about the weather and how the weather's changed over that period. But through it all, this tree has remained resilient. It stood the test of time. It's passed the tests. And I think here that, I think what the psalmist is trying to say here is that God's saying that our faith is called to be an enduring faith that doesn't give up when things get hard, but put our roots down deep into the person of Jesus and into the church. Like we're people that are, in fact, it says here further on, it says that this tree is planted in the house of the Lord. So where does that tree flourish? In the house of the Lord. And so one of the things that I find is that to remain resilient and endure is that we cannot do this on our own. That we need people around us. We need the house of God. We need to be part of a community of faith that I don't, when you are flagging and you're discouraged, we all get discouraged. That you've got a, a brother in the Lord, a sister in the Lord, someone that knows your life and you're sharing your life with that comes alongside you and says, hey, how are you really doing? Come on, let's, let's walk together. And they pick you up. And we walk together in the Lord. And if we are simply a meeting, we will never endure properly as God would want us to endure. But if we are a family, if we are a family, you will be able to endure the tests of life, the tests of God. And you will grow up to be that kind of tree in Him, knitted in, planted in the house of the Lord, flourishing in the courts of our God. And there's quite a few biblical examples of people 
who persisted in their faith, you know. You got Abraham. You know how long he waited for his son of promise? Um, 25 years. So when God said to him, I'm going to give you a son, and Sarah, your wife, is going to give birth to him, 25 years he waited. Like, God, Lord, why would you wait so long? <laughs> why would you let this poor man suffer? Like, wasn't one year enough or two years enough? And I think somehow in the wisdom of God, he, he wanted to build into him an enduring kind of faith. You look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah, my favorite prophet in the Old Testament. 40 years, Jeremiah preached God's word for 40 years. 40 Yara. Yar. Yara? Yara. For 40 years, he preached to a stubborn people that never accepted his ministry. For 40 years, he had an unsuccessful ministry. He didn't have the numbers. He didn't have the great celebrity status, but he was faithful. And his, and his people had rejected him, but he was faithful. And, you know, I love with Jeremiah. I want to actually read the scripture in Jeremiah 12. And um, let's turn there together. Jeremiah 12, verse 1 to 5. Um, have I read this with you before about where Jeremiah complains to the Lord? Have I, have I read this to you guys before here? Yeah, I'm not sure because I've shared this in a few places, but... I did want to share this with you. So anyway, if you look at Jeremiah chapter 12 in your Bible, you'll notice that the heading of your Bible says this phrase, Jeremiah's complaint. <laughs> Jeremiah's complaining. And by the way, Jeremiah does it quite a lot in the book. If you read Jeremiah, it gets a bit depressing, actually, because this prophet is, is not always, but he is complaining. You know, he's like, God, I've been serving you. Why, why is life so hard? You know, I've done this. Why is it difficult? And, and even says at one point, cursed be the day that I was born. I mean, imagine that. Imagine cursing your birthday. Because like, God, you set me up. You, you're not Jehovah, uh, you know, you're not Yahweh, uh, the provider. You know, you Jehovah, as someone once said, Jehovah sneaky. You've set me up for, like, what, you know, you promised me one thing and now life is hard. I, I didn't sign up for this. You ever feel that way? That you're serving the Lord and these things happen, and it's like, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't expect that I would get kind of opposition for my faith or stepping out in obedience where the Lord tells you something, and then suddenly nothing goes right. And Jeremiah's facing something of this where the people in his hometown were, were persecuting him. The men in his town were actually giving him death threats for speaking the word of God. They were threatening him with his life. And he says here, in Jeremiah 1, I want to read this to you because he says in verse 1, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Very similar to Psalm 92, isn't it? The wicked seem to flourish. Lord, why? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them, they take root, they grow, and they bear fruit. You are near in their mouth, but you are far from their heart. But you, O oh Lord, know me. You see me and you test my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. So he's really like going for it here, right? And he carries on about how long will the land mourn. And then now he's like vulnerably given himself to God. God, here I am. I'm really struggling right now. I need some encouragement. What does the Lord say to Jeremiah, how does the Lord encourage him? What does the Lord say to him? And this is what the Lord says to him, which is something 
which is a little bit left, what we call left field. It's like, whoa, I didn't expect that. It comes out of this, this, this place where it's not the answer that I would have given Jeremiah. I would have said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, be strong in the Lord. He loves you, my boy. You know? Yeah, okay, not he loves you. I love you. <laughs> I would have comforted him. But look what the Lord says to him. He says in verse, verse 5, If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with the horses? What is he saying? He's saying, you think it's hard now? It's going to get even harder. <laughs> you think you're struggling with the pace and what I've called you to? I've actually called you to a whole lot more. Okay? And then he carries on and he says, And if in a safe land you are so trusting, so he calls this place that he's getting these death threats a safe land, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? Now, again, we need some content. What does it mean, the thicket of the Jordan? We're not Jews. We don't live in that time. The thicket of the Jordan, the bushes and the, the, the thick growth around the Jordan River were where the lions used to have their dens. That's where the lions lived. And the lions would, would live along the Jordan River. And he says, you think it's hard now? You are going to be facing lions. These men, these, they're like pussycats. They are lions that will be coming your way. And he carries on, and he basically, what is he doing? What is God doing? God is encouraging him. But the Lord isn't kind of, you know, the, God is trying to put um, an enduring spirit of faith in him to say, my son, I'm with you. I will help you. I will enable you. But it's time that you've got to actually grow up a little bit. Stop complaining, and I'll need you to mature up. I need you to, to grow up in the things that I've called you to grow up in. Because what I have for you is I've called you to run with the horses. And what you're in right now is you're actually in a little pity party, and I've called you to so much more. And it's going to get harder, but I will be with you. And I will give you the courage and the strength and the grace and the faith that you need, in a sense, to do what I've called you to do. And I don't know about you, but I know I need to hear this word from time to time. Mike, grow up. Sometimes you just got to grow up. Sometimes you got to stop whinging and whining and take responsibility. And one of the great sadnesses of our age, my friends, is this thing, is that we've got young, especially young men and women coming through the ranks and older, it's, it's, the, it's what we call the malaise of our generation. It's the disease of our generation. We've got people that don't take responsibility. We are victims. Oh, you don't understand what happened to me. You know, it's not my fault. It's, oh, it was my parents. Oh no, it was my circumstance. And while yes, we can be victims, but the Bible says that we are sinners, and the response to that is we turn away back to Christ, and we repent, and we say, Lord, give me your grace, your strength to help me to step up to do what you've asked me to do. And so I know I need to hear this from time to time. Mike, don't be the victim. You know, God sort of said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah in some ways here, he was a victim. If he lived in America or in the West in the 21st century, in 2023, there would have been like, save Jeremiah, hashtag. Hashtag save Jeremiah. Hashtag, um, it's not fair. You know, ministry is hard. Being a Christian is hard. You know, it is hard. It is hard. And so there's this idea that we have that as we grow up into be these cedars in the Lord, that's the will of God for us. 
in a sense, we're these men and women that as the storms come, we find ourselves planted in the house of the Lord, rooted on God. And I love how this ends in verse 15, and I want to end with this verse in verse 15. So, let's just go back there. Let me just find the verse here. Verse 14 and 15. Um, Okay, well, actually, wait, let's, 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 actually, let's go verse 12. Let me read the whole thing and end with the, uh, look at verse 15. I love this. So it says, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They bear fruit in old age. They're ever full of sap and green. And here's this thing that it ends with. Why can we do these things? And I love the response here is, to declare that the Lord is upright. And I love this statement of faith. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Don't you love that? That the basis of his faith is saying, God, you are my rock. You're the one in whom I stand on, I depend upon. When the storms come, like Jesus said with those men, one built his house on the sand and one built his house on the rock, the storm came to both of them. The one who stood was the one who knew that God was his rock, that the words of Christ, and as he obeyed them, was his rock in the Lord. The faithfulness of God is what enables us to stand well in him. If we're going to flourish well, we need to know the faithfulness of God. We need to know that he's for us and not against us, that he goes before us and he will enable us to serve him well. That the ways of God means that he puts us in a family, and he doesn't leave us as orphans, but he makes us, and he's faithful and consistent and true. I love what, what it says in Hebrews. It says of Jesus, he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Jesus is consistent in his character in dealing with his people. When we sin, he convicts. When we, when we confess, he forgives always. When we turn to him, he empowers us. When you humble yourself, he will enable you. He'll give you grace. God does not change. Oh, Lord, would you help us in this to know this? And so in closing, I want to say that God, in the scripture, uh, the Lord gives us a vision of, of what it means to be a godly man or godly woman, a righteous person in the Lord. I want to ask you, what is the vision for your life? I want to end with this. What is your purpose in life? Our purpose in life is to become a certain kind of person. A state, it's not status, it's not money in the bank. It's to become a person that is like him, following him, loving him, serving him, obeying him, putting his kingdom first with zeal. Amen? And so I'd like to pray for us, and I would actually then like us to pray for one another this, this morning. Can we do that? All right, um, let's stand together this morning. <clears throat> let's just stand where you are. Why don't you just close your eyes where you are? And I'm going to pray for us, just for all of us this morning. I want you where you are, just even as a sign of just asking the Lord, because we need His help, you know. The Bible says that... Um, that he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. 
Our only life is found by the water of life, which is Jesus. And this morning, Lord, we want to come before you and we thank you that we can put our roots down. As it says in Colossians, that we are rooted in Jesus. We are built up in him. And this morning again, Lord, we want to come before you and we want to confess, Lord, that you are our rock, that you are steadfast, that in you, Lord, there is no unrighteousness. There's nothing you ever do that is wrong. Although bad things happen, Lord, nothing you do is for our evil. It's always for our good. Lord, we want to confess this morning that you are faithful to your word and your promises. We want to thank you this morning, Lord, that that you have saved us to do good works, saved us to live for your purposes and seek your kingdom first. We want to thank you, Lord, that you've called us to be a people on a mission. Oh, Lord, and we want to ask you to come and increase our vision, that you would enlarge our vision to have a vision of eternity and a vision, Lord, of of living a life well lived for you to be holy in this life and happy, but that we can be happy in the next. Oh, Lord, would you come this morning? Would you, we want to just pull off anything that would hinder us from your call and purposes. Where you are now, just ask the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm going to take it off, like Hebrews 12 says, running this race with endurance, laying aside every weight and every sin that would hinder. And right now where you are, just say, Lord, I'm going to take it off. Just take it off. Anything that might get in the way of you enduring for the Lord, flourishing in Him, being a palm tree or being a cedar, Maybe getting in the way to say, Lord, today, would you show me? Would you pull those things off my life? Lord, maybe I've been encumbered by the things of this world, by the cares and the worries and the concerns of this world. The Bible says that if you are weighed down by those things, it says that the word of God will be choked. You won't actually bear fruit because the the thorns will choke the very word of God. Maybe this morning you're struggling with with worry and anxiety. Bring that to the Lord right now. Say, God, I bring it to you. You are the rock. You are righteous. I throw myself onto you this morning. Oh, Father, we just want to honor you this morning and say how great is our God. How great is our Lord. Worthy is your name. Oh, Lord, help us not to be like the unrighteous that are like grass, that are easily plucked up rootless. Would you put in us deep roots into you, Lord God? Jesus' name, Jesus' name, Jesus' name, Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Would you come, Lord, today? Holy Spirit, we want to invite you to come and just blow through your people. Maybe there's cobwebs. Maybe in you there's a cobweb. There's like, uh, you're a bit stale. Let the Spirit come and blow. Let Let him bring refreshing to your soul. Maybe you need to lift up your eyes a little bit higher. Just a little bit higher. See him who's seated on the throne. Worthy of honor and glory and power and praise. Dominion and authority. The ancient of days. The lamb of God at the center of the throne. We worship you this morning, Lord. Father, we worship you. We worship you, Jesus. Oh, we honor you, Lord. We say there's no one like you, Lord. We worship you this morning. We bless you this morning. Come and soften our hearts. Soften our hearts. Build in us a resilience. What I want us to do is I want us to pray for one another this morning. And I I would want, 
If you're here, first-time visitor, you know, you could be excused, but I want every single person to find someone, guy with guy, girl with girl, not husbands and wives. We'll just make it a bit awkward, uncomfortable. And I want you to go and pray with someone. And I want you to say to them, or just maybe mention like, hey, this was an area that the Lord convicted me on or spoke to me about. And let them pray for you. And then vice versa, get them to pray. And just pray for one another. And maybe on an area specifically that you felt the Lord, the Lord highlight this morning, that you, that you just need someone to come along and pray with you. We, we're going to do this now as a family. And so I want you to, you can do it in twos or threes, it's fine. You fine with that, Ruin? Okay. Uh, we're going to do that in twos or threes. So can I can ask you to break up, find someone. If you need to walk across the room, everyone, that includes the guys at the sound, AV, everyone. Let's find someone, let's pray for one another, and take about five or ten minutes to do that. Amen.